Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, here at the place at Freight Waves, where we talk about the stuff that comes out of the ground when you drill for it. That's oil, and from oil you get diesel, and you need diesel to run a truck. So that's why we call the show Drilling Deep. But we also drill deep into an issue of the week with our guest of the week. And this week, that's Todd Amen of ATBS. ATBS provides a lot of financial services to independent owner-operators, including tax preparation. And even though April 15th is still a few weeks away, Todd already has a pretty good idea of what the trucker tax returns are telling him about what happened to their earnings last year. He'll be with us in a few minutes. It's a good time here to take stock of the diesel market now that winter is pretty much over. Remember, heating oil is a distillate just like diesel, so the heating oil market will impact diesel. So the concern going into the winter was that we had very low inventory levels of diesel and of heating oil, and there was also the possibility that there would be a natural gas shortage in Europe because conditions in the LNG market might be really tight because of cutoff of Russian supplies, and that would spill over into U.S. natural gas markets. And because diesel can be a substitute for natural gas in a lot of applications, the fear was very real that diesel might surge this winter even more than the $5.34 per gallon price that it reached around mid-October. The October 24th Department of Energy price that's used for fuel surcharges more specifically was just around a little over $5.34. And now, with the winter over, the DOE price came in last Monday at about $4.18 per gallon. It's down about $1.15 from that October high. The winter diesel scare never happened. That was because of several reasons. One, Russian supplies of oil are actually pretty normal going into the world despite all the various sanctions put in place right after the invasion. The oil is going different places than where it was going before the war, but it is still making it into the global market. And ultimately, all prices are impacted by global supply and demand. Second, the Europeans did a great job getting natural gas into storage in preparation for the winter. By October and November, levels were, levels were well ahead of where they should have been compared to historic norms. They bought a lot of LNG, they conserved, and they made it through the winter without any difficulty. And by the way, they're in great shape coming out of this winter, already getting for next, next winter. Third, demand is kind of weak. The slower U.S. trucking market means that weekly distillate demand is running a few hundred thousand barrels per day below where it should be. No doubt about it, the warm winter and the impact on heating oil, that's had a lot to do with it. But the mediocre freight market and the impact on diesel prices is very much a reason also. Fourth, hey, I'll come back to it, that winter. Heating oil is primarily used in the U.S. and the Northeast, where snow in a lot of areas has been a very scarce commodity. But is it too early to start talking about next year? I don't think so. One thing we did not come out of this winter, well, here in the U.S., were healthy inventory levels. The latest weekly inventory report shows that stocks of ultra-low sulfur diesel were about 86% of the five-week average for the five years leading up to the pandemic. I, I didn't count 2021 and 2022 because they're so skewed. So let's note that at their lowest this past fall, really the, the fall, inventories were about 80% of the five-year average. So at 86%, it's better than that, but it's still not good. Here's another concern. The gasoline market this summer is starting to look very weak. The issue then is that refineries might start to cut runs because the margins on making gasoline are so soft. 
two things might happen here as a result. One is that they'll make more diesel relative to gasoline. That would be good. But they are not going to do that if a soft economy slices diesel demand also. So the second option is that they will just cut runs in general. Of course, if the market is that weak, then we get into what I would think of as the truck driver's conundrum. A weak freight market likely means a soft economy and less demand for trucking services. And high diesel prices probably means some pretty good demand and higher rates. If you're a driver, which one do you prefer? The thing is, we're coming off a year in which any sort of normal correlation between oil prices and freight rates, freight rates was pretty much blown apart. The problem is that as the freight markets softened, the world was dealing with the impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That direct correlation between rates and diesel prices gradually broke down over the course of 2022 as diesel prices climbed and freight rates fell and rates didn't fall because of the diesel prices. They were on totally different tracks. With Russian output more back toward normal, it's possible that the relationship might, that might be the relationship between the two might get back on track. Going to move on now. You know, since the days of when Drilling Deep was just audio, I always enjoyed having Todd Amen on as a guest right around this time of the year. That's because as president of ATBS, Todd is in a perfect position to see how truck drivers, independent owner operators, did during the prior year because he's really, you know, you think you hear the talk about companies being like the accountant to the stars, the hairdresser to the stars. Uh, ATBS is the accountant to the independent owner operator field. So he's got a great perspective, and we're going to have him in this year as we've had him in before. Todd, welcome back to Drilling Deep. Hey, John. It's good to see your face rather than the audio we've done in the past, and uh, I always enjoy chatting with you, so thanks for having me on. Yeah, I do too. It's always great. I mean, I don't like paying taxes on April 15th, but it's great to talk about how drivers did. So last year was a crazy year. Uh, The beginning of 2022 was a continuation of the 2021 rip-roaring trucking market. And then it was a pretty hard fall in the second half. So let's let's just go to the key number. Every year when we discuss this, one of the first things you do is you give me an average figure, average income figure for independent owner operators uh, over the course of the prior year. What did we see in 2022? Yeah, John, just for reference so that we know what the number means, if we go all the way back to the pandemic and the peak of owner-operator earnings, our average owner-operator uh, peaked at $72,000 net income, which was pretty good money. It was way up. Um, last year in 2022, they averaged 64500 so down pretty substantially. They were down about 10% as far as net income goes in 2022, which is, is a bummer, but obviously reflects the market we are operating in. Well, I mean, that, that is a pretty significant drop. Uh, I, I, I was taking guesses in my head what it would be, and it wasn't that much. So, um, And I gather this is all pretty much because of the, the fall in the second half. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you know, I think everybody was caught by surprise how quickly the downturn hit and um, how steep it was. And really, the combination of rising fuel prices and decreasing rates just hit drivers really hard. And um, you know, there's a lot of things. These guys run their own business, so there's a lot of things they can do to turn that tide. And I think uh, we're not seeing a lot of those actions being taken yet, which is really interesting. But um, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, 10% of your net, net income goes away. You know, a lot of people build their cost of living and uh, all the things that they love to do around net income every year. And as it goes up, we buy more things and add more debt and that kind of stuff. So there's drivers that are suffering right now, that's for sure. Let's talk about fuel because it, it always fascinates me to go on the earnings calls of the big 
publicly traded truckload companies. And they really don't talk about fuel. It, it, it's incredible that it is just almost like a non-subject. And the reason, of course, is that they, the, big, the big boys all have fuel surcharges and they are able to, through the fuel surcharge, do a pretty good job of taking those fuel costs and putting them onto the shipper. An independent owner operator rarely has that unless they've got kind of a long-term deal. But if they're, uh, if they're dealing in the spot market, they've got to go out and book themselves a rate that they believe that if they account for the price of fuel, will be enough to make that run profitable. Uh, you had a situation where the price was up and down. It always is. The fuel price is up and down. By the end of the year, it was falling pretty consistently. Overall, how much was fuel a headwind or a tailwind? And uh, you know how much did it hurt or, or help them last year? You know, if you look at the year combined in total, fuel was up fifty percent from the year before as a cost, and and so really, um, when a market is stable, it's it's fine, right? Because rates get built around a stable fuel cost. The challenge in a market like last year, when fuel spiked so drastically, kind of in Q two, and you know, literally doubled in in a matter of a couple of months. Um, the big carriers, as you say, they've got a fuel surcharge in place and that adjusts typically weekly, sometimes monthly. The pump price is adjusting daily. Um, so those large carriers can recoup that cost over time. There's kind of a cash flow lag. So that hits the owner operator even harder because a lot of times their bills aren't paid for 60 days if they're running for brokers or you know they're running the spot market. So their pump price adjusts every day, but they're not getting paid for that increased cost of fuel if they're getting paid at all for that increased cost of fuel for 60 days. So there's a giant cash flow lag. And for the first time I remember in history, really, we saw owner-operators literally park their trucks. They wouldn't run last, you know, May, June, um, kind of the late part of April because they just couldn't pay double the price to, to fill up their tank. So it was really an interesting time. Once it leveled off and started coming back down a bit and the market stabilized and the spot market rates kind of, you know, flattened out, Things are better the back half of the year, but that kind of second quarter was really brutal. Hey, you, you said earlier about things that companies or things that independent owner, owner operators can do to deal with the conditions in the market. I mean, outside of hedging, which is a significant cost and you know really takes a lot of a, a lot of attention and focus, and is probably beyond the, uh, the the resources of an independent owner operator. What can they do to deal with fuel? You know, John, that's so interesting because this is where the small owner operator has the advantage. If you think about a large fleet, they make adjustments over a long period of time. I think about a fleet that has 10,000 trucks. And if they want to get better fuel economy, of course, they work on it every day and they buy newer trucks and they do things like that. But the fundamentals of fuel economy are speed, idle time. You know, there's a lot of other small things that you can do, but literally an owner operator can change in a day. They can drive 10 miles an hour slower and they can idle less. And that can save a driver at, you know, at $5 fuel per gallon, that can save a driver $10,000 a year. If I got 10,000 trucks and I want to slow my trucks down 10 miles an hour or even five miles an hour, I got to get them all through the shop. I've got to, you know, force those company drivers based on, you know, the engine limits and all those kinds of things. It'll take me a year to make that adjustment. An owner operator can literally adjust overnight. So they've got that advantage if they're willing to do it. Um, it's just hard to do because drivers got used to driving very fast for the last three years. Um, and they still are because there was a lot of money to be made. We didn't care about costs. We just cared about getting to the next high paying load during COVID because things were so good. Right. And um, did you, were you getting feedback from your clients that they were in, in fact, doing that like kind of sort of the smarter ones, the, the more forward looking ones? 
you know, certainly the top 10% that make good decisions are doing that. But by and large, when we look at our year-over-year numbers, we've seen no change in fuel economy. And I drive a lot and I've been on the road the last couple of months, you know, Iowa, Minnesota, Arizona, a lot of places and trucks are passing me. I drive five miles an hour over the speed limit and I've got trucks passing me. And really what it tells me is they haven't changed their habits. Um, they're, they're, driving, they're driving fast. I think one thing we did see also on our operators take advantage of in the last year is there's a lot of good buying discount programs out there and there's more and more every day. So you can get up to 50 to 60 cents per gallon discounted at the retail price. And there's a lot more drivers taking advantage of those kind of things too. So uh, let's talk about, let's say your clientele and how it may have changed. I, I write the monthly story for freight waves when the monthly employment report comes out. And really until the last month or two, uh, the number of jobs in the truck transportation sector had risen considerably, even through the second half of the year when everybody said it was things were pretty rotten out there. Now, let's point out that that sector is not just drivers, but obviously two things. A, drivers are in there, but B, company drivers would be in there. An independent owner-operator is not likely to show up in that data. And so one, one theory about how those numbers continued to rise, even in the face of a weaker market, was that some people were parking their trucks or maybe leasing on to a company, not really sure if that, that gets counted, but certainly probably more likely to, for that to get counted down their own. You know, they at a certain point, they didn't want to be an independent cowboy. They wanted a little protection from some sort of umbrella uh, that a company could provide. Did you see a lot of that? Did a lot of your clients maybe say, you know, thanks, Todd, for all the services, but I'm over with this company now? Yeah, John. So I guess I would talk kind of in big numbers. Um I think about 100,000 drivers kind of moved into being independents during COVID. Just it was such a great opportunity. Got their own trucks or left a motor carrier they released to and went and ran spot market. And so as soon as things get difficult, what typically happens is a migration back to quality. They want to go back to the fleets that have the contracted rates, you know, in the long-term freight and those kinds of things. And, and you see a pretty you know, consistent migration back, like 85% will go back to fleets that left in a good market. But last year was very different because it was a different market. One, the drivers had a lot of um, asset value in their trucks because truck prices had doubled. So you saw a lot of drivers just sell their truck and um, cash out, and they may have gone back to being company drivers, or they may do something else because you can make money doing a lot of things with low unemployment in the country. We saw, I would bet half of those drivers go back to fleets, and we saw about a quarter of them just park their truck and say, I'll run when things get better again. And maybe some of those started running in the back, you know, fourth quarter of the year, but definitely different than before where you kind of saw the whole owner-operator population move into spot market and then move back to carriers um, in fragments. It's not all moving back to carriers for sure, um, as it has in the past. And it does kind of raise the question of the term driver shortage. You know, at Freightways, we've tended to be somewhat skeptical of the term driver shortage. And what we see is a market that's extremely fluid with low barriers to entry in which uh, people come in and people come out very easily uh, on the back of uh, however strong the market is. It sounds to me like you're describing a situation in which there were plenty of drivers, but they just reacted differently to where they wanted to work. Would you agree with that? You know, I agree. And I agree with you. The driver shortage, you know, is a big term that gets thrown around. But if you go back and look at the Great Recession as an example of what happened, there were a lot of people that flooded into trucking um, because we had eight and a half percent unemployment and there were retirees that needed money because they lost their retirement in the Great Recession. And, and so we had a flood of drivers, an excess of drivers 
in 2010, 2011, 2012. Today, you can do dang near anything, whatever our you know national unemployment is, three, three and a half percent. You can you can make sixty thousand dollars doing dang near anything, driving Uber, you know. And so a lot of people are choosing not to be truck drivers. So it's it's a challenge to get good quality drivers in our business. I do agree that there's a shortage, but our wages have increased a lot. COVID helped boost pay of drivers and owner operators. So um, it's a mixed bag, definitely. There's there's a shortage, but I think it gets overstated and overrated um, in some ways. Let's go back to the numbers. People love numbers. So you said the average uh, the average owner operator. I'm assuming that is primarily pulling a dry van. Uh, made sixty four five. What percentage do you think of your clients were over six figures? And uh, what were some of the top ones? You know, some of these hazmat drivers who real specialize. They have a certain set of skills that can't easily be replicated. How well did they do? Yeah, John, that's a great question. Our top 10% averages $150,000, and that hasn't changed a lot. You know, when you're in very specialized niche market, um, a down market doesn't impact you significantly because there's only a few that can do what you do, have the certifications, have the hazmat, you know, have the equipment for double drop, drop trailers and all that kind of stuff. So the topper really still doing just fine um, from our perspective. All right. And um, what, okay, so that's your top 10% is over 150. How about six figures? How about 100? Uh, you know, I would say the top 25% of ours are over 100,000. Um, they're still drivers doing fine. Our mantra is um, run an extra load a month and slow down 10 miles an hour. If you do those two things, you'll add $15,000 to your net income. And wow. uh, drivers just aren't doing that yet. So you can still make 100,000. You just have to work harder. My next question was, do they listen to you? <laughs> you kind of answered that, that they don't. You know, it's not just me. I mean, I've yeah, been I at a dozen fleets in the last um, month and talked about their drivers. And it's not that they're lazy. Um, America's work-life balance changed during COVID. We all got different ideas of what we wanted to do. And they're no different than the average American who doesn't want to go into an office anymore, that doesn't want to work more than 40 hours a week. The drivers got used to making good money and not driving a lot of miles. And, and so they haven't changed their mindset yet, just like most of America. What I was saying they didn't listen to you is about the whole uh, slowing down. Yeah. I mean, that, that is really, you know, there's so much focus on time is money, time is money, but money can be other things too. And the, I guess, you know, when you think of a truck driver who, depending on where they're driving, can spend so much time sitting in traffic, you know, and anytime I cross the George Washington Bridge and because I'm up in the New York area and I, I see these huge lines of people waiting to cross out. I just think of, you know, tick, 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 ka-ching, 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 all this money that's being wasted by these poor drivers sitting in that. So when they get the open road, boy, it just must take a lot of discipline to not put pedal to the metal and keep that speed down if you can actually go a lot faster. Yeah, and the thing is, they got used to, you know, a year and a half ago, it made sense to drive as fast as I legally could to get to that next load because it paid me a ton of money. Today, that next load is going to pay me average money. So I don't need the speed to get there. I just need to manage my costs. In good revenue markets, we care about revenue. That's what we think about and we forget about costs. In challenging markets, all businesses have to concentrate on costs and fuel is the number one cost. But it is hard. Um, and it's not just the driver discipline, the congestion, you know, all the things that cause bad fuel economy. We gained three quarters of a mile per gallon during COVID when there was the lockdowns because there was not what you just said. The traffic wasn't on the road. 
drivers could just get out and drive and didn't have to slow down and idle and all those things. So yeah, there's more that goes into it than just speed, but speed's the number one factor. Let's talk about that that average because we've always talked about an average number and, and I know that sometimes I've shared it with people, you know, that the ATBS average number was 60, 65, 70, whatever. At 64.5, that almost strikes me as even a 72.5 kind of low because we know that there are, as you've noted, a lot of people out there making six figures, uh, which means that there are a lot of people making less than 64.5. And I just kind of wonder how they survive. I mean, do those that does that number include people who might have packed it in in October? Uh, people for whom maybe they don't intend to drive ride as hard as they can, and they have maybe numbers in the forties, but they're okay with that. Yeah, you know we're pretty good. We've done it for twenty years, so we're pretty good about um, purifying our data and taking out the very low and the very high, so that it's a good good median. So that driver that only drove half the year or three quarters of the year wouldn't be in that number. Um, but there's certainly drivers in there that are older drivers. A lot of owner operators are older drivers. They've done this for their whole career and they're lifestyle drivers. They run 70,000 miles a year because they choose to and they take a month off in January. It's not everybody. That's not the average, um, but but it can skew it down a little bit. It, what's interesting is our bottom bottom, you know, like our bottom 15% averaged $55,000 and that didn't change. It actually was exactly the same as last year. So no matter what, you can make 55 grand being an owner operator. The upside is why you choose to be an owner operator. If you're smart, you operate, you work hard, you know, that's that's the goal is to make way more, make 100 grand a year. Yeah, one thing we heard a lot, and we probably talked about this last year, is at the end of 2021, which was such a great market, that by, let's say, September, October, some drivers had made their target. They went into the year wanting to make X, and the rates were so good that by September, October, they had made X. And they parked their trucks, not out of frustration, but just to, you know, work-life balance. They wanted to take that, that more of that leisure. You wonder if, given how hard things fell in 2022, whether some of them would kind of regretted that decision. Um, and I would imagine you, you, you probably saw some of that last year, but because of bad conditions, not particularly good conditions, it's kind of like the same outcome because of very different reasons. Yeah, I think the shocking thing for us last year is we always see drivers run less miles in a good market because they're making the money they want to make and they take time off, as you said. When things get difficult, we see miles go up. We've seen that through every downturn for the last 20 years, but we haven't seen that yet. The average driver last year ran 85,000 miles, which is the lowest we have on record. Typically, by July or August of last year, we would have seen miles start to increase because drivers realize my net income's down one of the ways I can make more money is take an extra load, stay out an extra day, you know, work a Saturday instead of being home for the weekend. And we saw none of that. We have not seen miles increase, you know, through our numbers through February of this year, we have not seen miles increase at all, which is kind of shocking. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I don't know if that's shocking because the, we, we, we know the volumes are down. All you got to do is look at the data in sonar. But you would send me uh, some data that I wanted to ask you about. You said owner-operator miles are down 11% year-on-year. Year. Okay, that I can I can imagine. And down 20% since 2018. Now, 2018 was a very good year. It wasn't on the level of 2021. What, what are your theories about why this is down? America is still consuming plenty of goods. Yeah, so um, the thing that I know is owner-operators typically run significantly more miles than company drivers. And so if you got 3 million trucks and 10% of them are owner-operators, the owner operators are going to fight and scrap and work harder 
they choose to, right? They're self-employed. And so they want to fight more and make more money. So typically they'll run 10 to 15% more miles. So even if there's not enough miles for the 3 million trucks out there, those owner operators that want the miles will traditionally find a way to get the miles. And, and so I guess that's what I say is a little bit mystifying is that I feel like they haven't taken that. And it's, it's not just they don't want to run the miles. There's a lot that goes into it. You know, in today's world, there's not enough employees to load and unload trucks at shippers and receivers. And so there's a lot of delays. If I drive for a big fleet that's got drop and hook, that's already done for me. If I'm an owner operator that's got my trailer, no matter what, I'm delayed a lot more than I have been in the past. Um, congestion on the highways, maintenance downtime, because I can't get parts for my truck. It takes me two weeks to get a repair done that used to take a, you know, a day or two. All those things are playing into why miles are still low. Um, but I do suspect, you know, soon we're going to see a turn in miles for our operators. They're going to start running more. Well, let's talk about capacity. Last question. We do know that capacity is excessive right now. Uh, that is very clear in the outbound tender rejection rate, which is down near 3%, kind of an all-time low. Uh, that kind of signals that a lot of capacity, we, we, know, we know the volumes are down, um, and the capacity really isn't disappearing all that quickly. Do you see a shakeout coming? Are there some we know that there are some, but uh, a lot of carriers out there that are just hanging on that unless things get better, and there are really no signs of it getting better anytime soon, they're going to pack it in? Um, you know, for me, John, it goes back almost to the question of the American economy, not just drivers. Um, I've been out in the world, you know, eating, traveling, flying, renting cars, and the world is busy. I mean, arguably, we're in a recession. We've got banks failing. Traditionally, consumers by now would have shut their wallet and they would be, you know, saving for desperate times. And I still people see people spending a lot of money. I think drivers are different. I think people, you know, you can watch the numbers and the saving rates and the banks and, you know, all the government statistics to say that's all going away. But people got a lot of money during the pandemic for stimulus money. They save money. They earn money. And I think people are still burning through that and they haven't changed their habits. Truck lines are no different. A lot of them paid off trucks that they had debt on because they got PPP loans and other government stimulus. And so when you're running with a debt-free truck, as opposed to being, you know, only 5% that I put down on that truck traditionally, I can afford to run at a lower cost and, you know, not making as much money for a lot longer. So I, I think it's going to take longer to wash capacity out. It already has than past cycles. Um, for those reasons. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but I think it's going to be a while longer. All right, Todd. Well, let's uh, let's go open up your calendar there and book uh, this chat for late March or early April 2024, if that's okay. Yeah, John, I hope we got better news. Um, you know, we're arguably already a year into a pretty bad trucking cycle and they don't usually last more than 12 to 18 months. So I'm hoping by third quarter, things are better. Um, but either way, hey, I'll join you and we'll talk about what happened. All right. You're right. As he said, better news, hopefully. So we want to thank Todd Amen. He's the president of ATBS, the accountant of the independent owner operator trucking industry. No doubt about it. Todd, thanks for joining us here on Drilling Deep. Thanks, John. Good to be with you. You have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts for FreightWaves. You can find us on FreightWaves TV at FreightWaves.com or on all the leading podcast platforms or wherever you listen to your podcast. I've been your host for today, John Kingston, and please join us again.